Hey, welcome again to the space usually occupied by the Scrum, GBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley. As Mayor Michelle Wu kicks off her historic term, we are continuing to break down the challenges she and the city of Boston are facing when it comes to policy and also politics on Fridays at 7 p.m. on GBH Channel 2. In the coming weeks, we'll also be taking a look at some other local political stories of note, and we will continue posting an audio version here for people who prefer podcasts to video. Thanks for listening. Tonight on Boston's Race into History, the mayoral transition is officially underway as Acting Mayor Kim Janey says farewell and Mayor-elect Michelle Wu starts putting her team in place. A little bit later, we'll get into another area where Boston voters voiced a strong preference on November 2nd, namely getting back to an elected school committee. We'll hear from the two city councilors who are leading that push, Ricardo Arroyo and Julia Mejia, about why the backing is so strong and what it will take to make the idea a reality. But first... A bittersweet moment for Acting Mayor Kim Janey this week as she thanked the city's employees. Working with you over the last eight months has been an honor, and I am proud to have served with you. Earlier this year, Janie was celebrated locally and nationally for becoming the first woman and the first black Bostonian to run the city at length. But then she finished fourth in September's preliminary election, falling short in her effort to stay on for a full four-year term. Now she is handing the reins to her former colleague and former rival, Mayor-elect Michelle Wu. On Wednesday, Janie said goodbye, touting some big achievements from her brief tenure, from COVID to racial equity to mass and caste. We came together to distribute vaccines in our hardest hit neighborhoods. We expanded Boston Home Center's first time home buyers program and quadrupled the amount of down payment assistance eligible to home buyers. We also approached the dual opioid and homelessness crisis with a public health lens. In our first week, we connected close to 70 people to housing, shelter, and residential treatment. And no arrests were made as part of this work. Janie also praised her former colleagues on the city council, the body's newly elected members, her former mayoral rivals, and the woman who is about to run the city. While I am proud to be Boston's first woman mayor and the first mayor of color, I am also very proud to know that I will not be the last. I want to congratulate Mayor-elect Wu for leading an impressive campaign and becoming the first woman of color elected to the office of mayor. Mayor-elect Wu has pledged to bring City Hall to the neighborhoods. I know she will lift up those who have been left out of power and she will build upon my equity and justice work and she won't be afraid to tackle long-standing problems. Michelle, I am proud to pass the baton to you. Joining me to talk about Janie's farewell and some big early moves by Mayor-elect Wu are Soraya Wintersmith, who covers City Hall for GBH News, and political editor Peter Kadzis. Hello, both of you. Hi, Adam. Greetings. You, you have covered a couple mayoral transitions in short succession here. Walsh to Janie and now Janie to Wu. How do they compare? I think that the transition between Janie to Wu is really one of 
allies who support one another. Janie has done Wu a favor by sort of assuming the role of the villain and acting on Mass and Cass, where she could have just been an acting mayor and not taken any action. And I think Wu is doing Janie a favor by really clearly acknowledging the fact that Janie was the first woman to hold the mayor's seat and first person of color to hold the mayor's seat, even though she wasn't a duly elected mayor. So the two women are kind of reinforcing one another's legacy. I've been struck by that as well. The tone has seemed to me really warm throughout this handover process. Peter Kadzis, when people look back on this period in Boston political history a few years from now, how is Kim Janey going to be remembered? Well, her... Um administration, uh, seven months of it, really serves as a prologue, a political prologue to the Wu administration. Um, let's not forget that Janie was elected council president, setting her up to take over when Marty Walsh left with the support of Michelle Wu. Um, in terms of policy, um, her continuing the excellent programs of uh, Mayor Marty Walsh um, uh, is vastly to her credit. COVID was a tricky thing to deal with, and, and uh, Acting Mayor Janie opened the city up while at the same time keeping COVID at bay, and that's a real accomplishment. Uh, Soraya, we learned a little bit more about Mayor-elect Wu's plans for Mass and Cass and the problems that area embodies in a press conference earlier this week. Let's take a look at a bit of what she had to say. The plan is that we need to have access to treatment without barriers and we need to have low threshold housing available for every single person. When we see a situation when someone needs services, there has to be resources available for outreach continuous outreach, resources available to support those providers doing this work on the ground, and then to connect individuals and people with housing, with opportunity, with support and services. Soraya, we also learned that Monica Burrell, the doctor who used to run the State Department of Public Health at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, she is going to be Wu's point person for Mass and Cass, and she's going to be working closely with Sheila Dillon, who's going to stay on as Michelle Wu's housing chief after serving in that same post under Mayor Marty Walsh. I know it's early, but have you been able to discern any sort of pattern when it comes to the appointments that Michelle Wu is making and I guess the way she set up her transition team too? I think it is early, but between that press conference and the announcement of the transition team, we can see that Michelle Wu is mixing up new faces and kind of seasoned government hands. I think it's interesting that for all of Wu's uber-progressive campaigning and her talk of the need for systems change, she's relying on some of the folks who were within the system for a long time to help get her administration off the ground. Uh, to her credit, she has made a change to the structure of the cabinet. She's moved the Boston Public Health Commission head back into the cabinet. And uh, one of her transition co-chairs, Mimi Marimos, is somebody who is deep into community, frequently at public meetings, you know, calling out politicians for the decisions that they're making. Um, but 
The holdovers, the old hand holdovers are really interesting to me. It could just be that it's such a tight timeline between election night win and being sworn in that she needs to rely on people who have expertise to get started. Peter, I was struck by the same dynamic that Soraya just mentioned. You've got Wu campaigning as a proponent of big systemic change and then as Soraya said, tapping some people who are steeped in the system she's looking to reform to help her change them. Uh, are we wrong to be surprised by that? Soraya and, and me, I mean, Soraya and I. Um, I'm not so sure I'd say wrong. I, I might say a little naive, but I don't mean that in a snarky way. Never. Look, yeah. Michelle Wu was a member of the political establishment. She didn't garner endorsements from progressives all over the state by not being an insider. Michelle Wu was moving from the talking phase of her career to the doing phase of her career. And uh, uh, Sheila, uh, uh, Sheila uh, uh, Dillon and uh, Dr. Burrell are two people who know what they're doing. She needs competent people. Take a look at her um, advisory committee. One name that has attracted very little attention, but, but which shown out to me, was Micho Spring. Micho Spring is no longer a household word. She once was in Boston politics. She worked in the Lindsay administration. Kevin White named her deputy mayor when she was 31 years old. Like Michelle Wu, she's um, immigrated to this country. She came to the U.S. when she was 10 years old from communist Cuba. You know, she's the chair of uh, global practice for a huge international communications company. If, you're, if, if Micho Spring doesn't know who you are, your place in Boston business firmament is pretty shaky. So an insider's insider. Wu's parents, of course, emigrated from Taiwan. Wu, like me, emigrated from the Midwest, which is another big transition. Soraya Wintersmith, <laughs> uh, Michelle Wu this week faced some pointed questions on policing. Why was this uh, on the minds of the people questioning her, and what did she have to say? I think this past election cycle was really a first one where we saw candidates for office not treating the police departments as if they were public servants who couldn't do anything wrong. Reform and reallocation were big themes of this race. And then we had the back-to-back -back incidents of violence against police. And now that Michelle Wu is coming into power, she's having to fully contend with what it means to restructure and reform in a place where police have enjoyed a lot of political clout. She said this week that the latest incident of police violence where the three officers were shot responding to a standoff in Dorchester, that it's indicative of a need for systemic reform. And that bumps right up against the conversation about reallocating police sources, resources to community-based groups to alleviate poverty, uh, to stop crime proactively, and this is controversial, and she's going to have to deal with that. Yeah, she's going to have to deal with the inconvenience of um, four police officers, be officers being injured, one stabbed, three shot. That is not the, that's not the narrative the public is used to when talking about police reform. By the way, I don't think we will waver, but this is um, a bump in the road for her, and it reminds everyone that being a cop is not an easy job. That's right. Peter Kazis, Soraya Wintersmith, thank you. As always, have a good weekend. Both hey, happy to do it. Adios.
It is not a done deal just yet, but Boston seems to be poised to return to an elected school committee. In a non-binding vote earlier this month, a whopping 79% of Boston voters supported the change, compared to just 21% who opposed it. For skeptics, that outcome may be triggering some unpleasant flashbacks. The school committee was an elected body 50 years ago, when the busing crisis brought some of Boston's worst tendencies to the fore. And at the time, committee members didn't always see eye to eye with then-Mayor Kevin White. That tension led to moments like this, White making an appearance before the school committee in 1976, asking it to work with him instead of against him. I come here today to indicate my support for the new school committee, substantial support, and I'm seeking that you give the same. For the record, the elected school committee didn't always agree with school administrators either. Case in point, this very tense meeting, also in 1976, in which school committee chair John McDonough sparred with Superintendent Marion Fahey. How can you effectively manage our school department without the support or at least the understanding of the students, parents, officials, and others you so eagerly alienate? It is difficult for the superintendent to hold together field administrators and central office staff administrators when the authority of the superintendent is questioned. After Ray Flynn became mayor in 1983, he pushed to turn the school committee into an appointed body, saying the elected committee was doing a disservice to Boston's public schools. What this is is a system, a system that com completely fails the school children and the parents of the city of Boston. But there was discontent from the start. Black voters and the black political establishment opposed the change, saying it effectively disenfranchised communities of color. Or, as former school committee member Gene McGuire told GBH News earlier this year, The whole idea of giving up any vote for anything, whether it's dog catcher, if you've got the vote, you don't give away. That's power. Power to shape a system in which deep inequities persist decades after busing, where students of color comprise a majority, and where, right now, the appointed committee often reduces mayoral accountability instead of increasing it. My next guests say it is past time for a change. I'm joined by District 5 City Councilor Ricardo Arroyo and at-large City Councilor Julia Mejia, the co-authors of the Home Rule petition that would make Boston's school committee an elected body once again. Thank you both for being here. Councillor Royal, let me start with you. Michelle Wu won a big victory on November 2nd, but the idea of an elected school committee won an even bigger victory. Were you surprised by the level of support? I was not. So I had actually told reporters early on the day I'd been asked what I thought the result would be, and I said 80%, uh, and that I thought it would win every ward. I do believe it actually won every precinct uh, in the city of Boston, and so that's, that's about as overwhelming as a political victory can be. Yeah, an incredible, uh, emphatic result. Councillor Mejia, can you describe, for viewers who might be catching up on this or need a refresher, what would the structure be of the elected committee that you and Councillor Roy are proposing? Yeah, I guess that's where the next uh, steps uh, lie in, is that the way we set it up was is that we're, um, we filed a home rule petition, which is going to open up the public uh, dialogue in terms of what the structure would look like, because we want to do this in deep collaboration with community so folks don't think that we're doing something to them without them. So 
the working sessions that um, will present themselves as that opportunity for us to really work um, to determine what the structure would look like. There's there's some conversations around it being hybrid. There's some discussions around whether it's going to be citywide, it's going to be district. So all of those um, discussions will happen during our working sessions. And we are committed to having a conversation that includes everybody in that process so that it's led by the people. And uh, a logistical point here, when... Well, actually, I'll get to that in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Councillor Arroyo, let me ask you about Michelle Wu's position on an elected school committee. During the campaign, she was pretty, um, pretty emphatic about saying that she liked the idea of an elected committee, but wanted to maintain at least a few appointed slots because she wanted to guarantee that people with certain areas of expertise were represented. Is that a structure that you are open to at this point? Uh, so what I really have told folks, and I've meant it from the very beginning, is that this is uh, we've had an appointed school committee for now about 30 years. Uh, and there's been a number of issues with the independence of that body. And I speak to that as somebody whose father was once the president of the appointed school yeah. committee, uh, and served on that school committee. And so I, I have some idea of the difficulties even he had navigating those spaces. Uh, and so now as we move forward towards uh, a body that is hopefully an elected body and much more accountable to residents and stakeholders. Uh, what I have told folks is any version of this that I am going to okay will have to be something that is done in collaboration, not just with me and Councilor Mejia, but also we have colleagues on this council, uh, 11 other colleagues on this council that will have opinions and thought process on this. But I also wanna make sure that this is led from the community level and so that we are having those discussions. And what I would say is, uh, Michelle Wu has been collaborative in the past in the way that she has thought about problems and the way that she has approached them. And it is my hope that if what we hear overwhelmingly uh, from folks is that they want a fully elected school committee, is that that is the direction we will go. Uh, and I will just say that the actual question uh, before the voters was, do you support an elected school committee, not do you want some version of a hybrid or some other source of that? And I think, you know, 80% outcome for do you want support an elected school committee is pretty clear cut uh, and dry. You would have to then go into well, what they really meant was. But I think that that question itself was about as upfront and clear as could be. You both talked about the importance of community involvement and a, a community engagement process, which is about to begin uh, if it hasn't already. What's the, the timetable for that? Like, when are you going to start hearing from the community? How are you going to do it? And by what point do you expect to have your, your findings assembled? So I can speak on that briefly, uh, and then I'll, and I'll let Councilor Mejia go. Uh, the hope is that we get some of the early community listening sessions and possibly even a hearing done in this legislative term. The end of this legislative term for the city council is December 15th for folks who are watching. And so the hope is we can at least get a hearing started on that process uh, and then maybe do something more independently with community organizations uh, in, in collaboration with them to get actual community listening sessions, so separate and apart from the official city council session. I, I, and, I, and anything else Councilor Mejia would like to add to that? Yeah, no, I just wanted to just add that the intentionality is really that this is a community-driven effort. Um, and, and as many opportunities as we can create to educate people and engage them in that process, uh, I think the more apt we're going to be to see something that gets um, 
solidified and codified um, with the will of the people, which is will, which I believe will make it easier for us to pass it through the council, get it to the state house, um, and all of the steps that come with it. But it has to be um, driven by the people, and the will of the people has already been uh, loud and clear. And now it's about us taking it to to the finish line. Uh, you know, when you talk about the importance of hearing from people, uh, in my mind, I'm flashing back to the example of the Olympics when there was the Olympic proposal, when there was a decision that was made and then presented to people. And I remember talking on this very set about uh, how, with people about how it's essentially, okay, we've made the decision and now we're gonna get you on board. And you're talking about doing the reverse, essentially, which I think is yeah. worth highlighting. So as you alluded to, Councilor Mejia, because Massachusetts is not big on local control, there's a whole bunch of steps. Council has to pass this. Mayor Wu, once she is mayor, has to sign it. Then it has to go to, the, uh, to Beacon Hill. The legislature has to okay it. And then the governor has to uh, give it his okay as well. At what point can you right now envision this whole process maybe reaching a close. When might realistically uh, the governor, whoever the governor is, be signing something into law? Yeah, I think the fact of the matter, and then I'll have um, Councilor Arroyo speak to this as well, but I think the bottom line is, is that at this point, Boston is the only uh, municipality in the entire Commonwealth that does not have an elected school board. And it is due time for us to really give people back the power. This is a matter of voter suppression. And that's, we have to see this issue, not just around education, but this is civil rights. And I think that now is the time in this moment um, for the legislators to recognize that Boston is old enough and grown up enough to be able to handle our own business. So they're also going to have to read the room and the Zoom in this point to understand that um, they don't have any other option but to, uh, to give us the, the powers back. Period, end of story. And in terms of time, um, I think, um, Councilor Arroyo, if you want to speak a little bit to kind of what we're what we're thinking about in that space. So the, so the timeline on this is uh, Charlie Baker will be uh, barring some some event. Uh, the governor going into next year, uh, he has, I think, one year and some and some change left on his term. That's right. Yeah. And so the goal is to get this on the desk while he is still the governor. And I think the way we would end up doing that uh, is setting up the community process and the hearings now, uh, trying to get them done in this session before December 15th, moving towards the working sessions early next year, so January, February, March, uh, and, and ensuring that the reason you brought up Olympic 2024, that's an apt uh, uh, situation because that came from top down. And so it was basically like top decision level makers were saying, this is what we're gonna do. And the community was saying, whoa, 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 we're not part of this process. We believe that if you make it so that the community is driving that process, it makes it very difficult for any one individual or one policymaker to stand in the way of eventually this reaching the desk of the governor. Uh, and so the goal is to build that up with the urgency that an 80% vote determines needs to happen, getting this on working sessions and on the mayor's desk sometime early next year and then watching that work its way through the legislature up to the governor's office. I wanna ask each of you uh, to, to weigh in on one thing, uh, actually two things that people have traditionally brought up as sources of concern about the elected committee. And as you said, Councilor Mejia, it seems like you know the voters have weighed in, right? Their preference is clear. This is what Boston wants. So I ask you this, so that if anyone's watching saying, well, what about this? What about that? You have a chance to maybe put them at ease. What I want to ask you about, Councillor Mejia, is the idea that this will create a whole separate bureaucracy, which will be somewhat expensive. You'll have committee members uh, getting paid, having staff. 
at a time when the Boston Public Schools, as they usually are, are struggling with adequate funding. Do you have a sense of how much this may end up costing? Well, so I think there is no price on democracy, right? So what, you know, I, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that whatever whatever it takes to give people back the power and whatever that price tag looks like, I think it's something that is our responsibility to ensure that we can meet that moment. Um, and, and I think it's also really important for us to recognize that we're also fighting to have a youth uh, representation on this committee and then that position also gets paid and that they also have a voting right. Um, so there's a lot to, to discuss. And I also wanna underscore and utilize this moment to, to say that when we think about equity and we think about who are the folks that are gonna run for these positions, there are a lot of working parents who are struggling to make their ends meet. And we need to make sure that whatever the rate is, that, it, that we're not creating financial barriers for people who have stake in the game, but just may not have the, the disposable income to be able to, uh, to participate. So I think that it's really important for us to keep those things in mind as well. Uh, Councilor Roy, you're gonna get the, the final word here. Another criticism that was often voiced of the old elected committee, as you know, because as you mentioned, you've, yeah. you've grown up with this stuff, is that it became a place for people to basically engage in performative politics, to mug for the cameras. I went back and was looking at old footage. Here we have uh, Marion Fahey, then the superintendent, staring at the camera. John McDonough, the school committee chair, staring at the camera as he rakes her over the coals. And then we have Pixie Palladino, a notorious opponent of yeah. busing, winking at the camera. What might you be able to say to anyone who's worried that we'd see a recreation of this ethos when an elected school committee makes a comeback? So I would just say that one, the city is in a completely different place. Uh, you know, we've made strides, very, very large strides, right? Councilor Mejia and Councilor Arroyo are, are real things uh, in the city of Boston in the year 2021. Going into 2022, the composition of our city council uh, is, is you know, history making. The mayor is history making. Uh, I think we've never had this much diversity collectively across the Boston delegation uh, at any one point, uh, and, and that's for the state house. And so, I think what we're what we're really looking at is a situation where we believe that Boston is able to responsibly wield the power of their ballot, and that that means that the people they are electing are the, the folks that they trust and believe will be able to do this work. Uh, and I would just say that even though the appointed school committee has existed in an appointed fashion and not in an elected fashion, that doesn't make them any less political or yep. individualized or uh, having their own ideas. And I, and I think part of the problem has actually been that in the historical sense of that, when they've had reservations, um, Regina Robinson comes to mind, my father himself had this issue with Menino, when they've opposed directly a mayor, when they've abstained from a vote or, or voted in a way that was not the, the, the company line, they've been not re-upped. So, yeah, that's a crucial point. Appointed does so, not mean apolitical. Yes, appointed does not mean apolitical. It just means one man or one woman. Uh, hopefully that goes on for some time. Uh, uh, I apologize, we have to leave it there. Ricardo Arroyo, Julia Mejia, thank you both. That is it for tonight, but do come back next week when we will officially have a new mayor of Boston. She'll take office just two weeks after the election with a strong mandate and some big challenges to confront right away. For now, thanks for watching and good night.